The scripture reading for today is 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who, wants to, who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Mike Stroh, the other Pastor Mike, and it's great to be with you this morning. Let me add my word of welcome to everybody, especially if you're a guest with us today. We hope you're encouraged as we worship together. And as we come now to the word, thank you, Kara, for reading our scripture this morning. Thank you, music team. And I want to also thank Phil Bryan for stepping in last Sunday at the very last minute. We found out our scheduled uh, preacher was not able to be with us due to sickness. And so Phil uh, jumped in and we were away at a step to change retreat. We had an awesome time and we'll hear a bit uh, more about that later in our service. But I just wanted to uh, thank Phil and everybody else who who, uh, stepped in. And you can be turning to 3 John if you have a Bible in front of you, and our text is also on our website page, our online bulletin. But late one night, there was a burglar who broke into a house that he thought was empty. He tiptoed through the living room as quietly as he could. Suddenly, though, he froze in his tracks when he heard a loud voice say, Jesus is watching you. He waited. Until silence finally returned to the house and the burglar slowly started creeping forward again. Jesus is watching you, the voice boomed again. The burglar stopped, frightened frantically. He looked all around to see who was talking. And finally, in the dim darkness, he saw a birdcage with a parrot inside. And he breathed a sigh of relief. What's your name? He asked the parrot. The parrot said, Moses. Well, that's a dumb name for a parrot, sneered the burglar. Who would name, the parrot Mo- who would name a parrot Moses? And the parrot said, the same guy who named the Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> it's not a true story. Uh, how do I know that? 
because you can't really have a conversation with a parrot. So we know that's not true. Uh, but parrots are great at imitation, right? They can mimic words and phrases that they hear. If you've ever spent, if you've ever had a pet parrot or spent any time with one, uh, they can reveal a lot about the personality of their owner uh, because they repeat what they hear. And, you know, as people, we are imitators too. Uh, we're more sophisticated, I hope, usually, than parrots, but we learn, we absorb things from the people around us. Uh, children learn to talk first by mimicking right? By imitating their parents, by forming the sounds that they hear. And all through life, we're influenced by friends, by role models, in so many ways we don't even realize oftentimes. And so it's so vital in the Christian life to be aware of who we're looking to, who our examples are, who we're watching in the faith to show us the way. This morning, we conclude our study of John's epistles, it's hard to believe we're already coming to the end of this series, but we come this morning to this very short book of 3 John. It's awesome in our scripture reading before the service to be able to read a whole book of the Bible. And so we just heard the whole thing together. But we saw two weeks ago in 2 John, uh, John's emphasis on walking in truth and love. And, and now in this epistle, John turns his attention to specific people that were in a church, and some were serving as examples worth imitating, and others... John said, watch out for them. And so we as believers can, even though we don't know these people, we're thousands of years removed from these specific circumstances, but we can learn, we can absorb the truth in this letter as we are led to prayerfully consider who we are watching, who we are imitating. So let's pray together as we come to this book of Scripture. Our Father, we thank you for another Sunday to come together and worship. We thank you for your word and the power of this particular letter. And we pray that um, though we are removed by culture and a very long time from the immediate circumstances that this letter uh, was written for, we know and trust your spirit will speak it fresh as we read it together, as we study, and as we continue to worship. And so we're in dependence on you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at 3 John, if you have that in front of you. Look at verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So we'll stop there for just a second. Just like in 2 John, if you were with us two weeks ago, the author just calls himself the elder. Now traditionally, this is thought to be the Apostle John who wrote this. There's plenty of similarities in style that we, if you've been tracking with our series, we've seen throughout all three letters that really point to the same author. And as we've been going through, you can see a zooming in effect. If 1 John is written pretty broadly to the whole church, uh, all believers, Second John was written to a specific church, and Third John now is written to one specific person. And that person is Gaius, someone who was dearly loved by John. We have a couple other Gaiuses in the New Testament. Uh, some speculate this might be one of them that Paul mentions, but it was a common enough name that this was likely the only uh, this was a Gaius, and this is all we know about this particular one. But the message here is short and sweet. Again, we just heard the whole thing. This is the shortest book in the whole Bible, only 219 words in the Greek. And the context is very similar to 2 John that we saw a couple weeks ago, how the church was to treat traveling Christian ministers and missionaries. But if 2 John lays down general teaching, some guidelines for the church, John now zooms in to give some real personal instructions to one believer. 
So 2,000 years later, we get to listen in on this personal correspondence, this personal letter between friends. And the Spirit speaks these words to us this morning as well. Now look at verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Truth, truth, truth. John commends his spiritual son Gaius for walking in the truth. As we saw in 2 John, this is more than just knowing truth, right? This is walking in it. This is living it out, which John's been telling us all along. That's the evidence that we really know God, that we're really in Christ. Gaius brought such joy to the Apostle John because he was one who practiced what he preached. His life was consistent. Now, how is he showing this specifically? Look at verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You would do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And so we see Gaius uh, walked in truth by showing love in this sense of hospitality. He showed hospitality to traveling missionaries who he didn't even know, as John says, they were strangers, but he welcomed them anyway because they were brothers and sisters in Christ. He served them as he would Christ himself. And these traveling missionaries, these traveling preachers, these ministers returned then to John and gave a really good report about Gaius, about his selfless hospitality. In verses 7 and 8, John gives some real good reasons why it's good to support people like this. It's good to do what Gaius was doing. First, he says, they have gone out for the sake of the name. That's capital N name, for the sake of Christ. Their ministry is rooted in the gospel, and so it's good to come alongside them and support them. John says they got no support from the Gentiles, from the non-believers, of course, and so they were dependent on the hospitality of Christians. And John says doing this, entering into the ministry with this kind of hospitality, he says, makes us fellow workers for the truth. The CSB has it, co-workers with the truth. I like that. That's a helpful image for us because, remember, hospitality in this culture wasn't just providing a room and a meal. If you were to do something like this, if you were to provide a meal, if you were to send them on their way with blessing, it was putting your stamp of approval, your full support behind their ministry. That's why John warned us in 2 John that showing hospitality in this way to false teachers would make you share in their wicked works. But the positive is true too, and that's what John's showing us here. And this is true of us today when we support missionaries with our giving, with our prayers, with our encouragement, with opening your home to them, as so many of you do when we have missionaries that travel and uh, minister here. Even a simple act of hospitality makes you a co-worker with the truth that's proclaimed all around the world. See, Christ's kingdom is built when some of us go around the world, when we preach to unreached people groups, When some of us go and we translate scriptures into languages that have never before had scripture. And Christ's kingdom is built when we cook a meal for a brother or sister in Christ. His kingdom is built when we send a note of encouragement. When we pray for the work of the kingdom. We all have a part. John is so clear. 
Now, this practice of hospitality was so common in this culture and the way that the early church adopted it that guidelines actually were uh, laid down uh, around this period in a piece of writing called the Didache, or the Teaching. And the Didache included some guidelines for how Christians were to show hospitality. They were, uh, traveling ministers were encouraged not to stay more than two or three days, not to overburden their hosts. See, these early Christians were so gracious, they were so hospitable, that the church had to set boundaries just to keep things sustainable. Their hospitality was getting out of control. It was a good problem to have. Now, unfortunately, not everyone was as commendable as Gaius and these other believers who were showing such awesome hospitality. Look at verse 9. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Who is this guy? He's got quite the resume, doesn't he? Likes to put self first. Does not acknowledge authority. Talks wicked nonsense. I love that one. Talks wicked nonsense. Refuses to welcome brothers. Hey, when can you start? This is so jarring, isn't it? After all these great words to Gaius, and then John drops the hammer on this guy, the Diotrephes. Not only was he not showing hospitality, he was actually getting in the way of others showing hospitality. Those that were opposing him and his opinion and wielding his authority, he would kick him out of the church. Compared to Gaius, this guy sounds like sort of a cartoon villain, you know, twirling his mustache and hatching plans. So when we see in verse 11 John's command to imitate good, not evil, we can be tempted maybe to jump ahead and be like, okay, well, John's just saying, don't be like this guy. Don't be like Diotrephes. Check, that's easy, right? But wait a minute, if we stop here and think about what John's saying and the implications of it, this wasn't just some guy that wandered in on a Sunday to stir up trouble. He had some leadership capacity in the church. He loved to use his authority in the church, which means he had some. And you've got to wonder, was it John himself that appointed Diotrephes to this position? Was it one of the other trusted elders and leaders in John's circle? Whatever the case, we can be certain Diotrephes didn't start off this way. He didn't start off with a reputation for slander, for abuse of power. He didn't introduce himself by saying, Hi, I'm Diotrephes. I like to put myself first. For fun, I like to talk wicked nonsense. No, this guy's a genuine believer. Diotrephes loves Jesus, loves Jesus. He loves the church. Maybe he still thinks even at this point he's doing the right thing. He started off with good motives, desiring to use his gifts for the church. And now his refusal to welcome traveling missionaries and his harsh treatment of other believers probably started off as a desire to protect the church, which John has told us so much about so far in his other letters to protect the church from false teachers, from bad influences from the outside. And you know that, John, he's getting up there in years. He's getting soft. He's way over there. He's not here. He doesn't know what life is like for this church. I know what this church needs, not John. See, all of a sudden, don't be like Diotrephes is a little bit harder of a box for us just to check, isn't it? Because as always, these are heart issues. 
For diatrophies, these started out small. These started out subtle, and they grew and grew until all of a sudden this trusted leader in the church became a destructive force in the church. And the truth is, as we search our hearts, we see glimpses of diatrophies in ourselves, don't we? Ever struggle with pride? Ever thought you knew better than your authority? Ever made a big mistake that you say, you know what, I had good motives. See, we're all prone to the same sins that John points out here, as dramatic as they seem. And that should give us pause. And so with that in mind, now let's look at verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whatever does, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And so here we have the central imperative of this short letter. My beloved friend Gaius, be, be an imitator of good. Christian, watch your heart, watch your actions to be sure that you're imitating who and what you think you're imitating. This word for imitate means to mimic, to do what is seen to be done by somebody else. This word is uh, used by Paul in the New Testament a few times. Twice in 1 Corinthians, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, ultimately, we're all really trying to imitate Christ. But God has given us teachers. God has given us guides, spiritual fathers and mothers to come alongside us to model what the walk of faith looks like and should look like every day. In Philippians 3, Paul writes, Join in imitating me, And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And in chapter 4, Paul writes, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Imitate me, Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so it's good and it's right for us as believers to look to those around us, spiritual fathers and mothers, trusted spiritual friends, Those who are walking closely with Jesus, it's good for us to look to them uh, to imitate, for examples, because it's human nature. We're always influenced by the, the things we take in, by the people around us, and so John's admonition for us is to make sure we're imitating good, not evil. And again, this is not as simple as it first seems. There were those in Gaius's church who were imitating diatrophies. Sincere believers, believers who love Jesus, who love the church, they were happily following the lead of this guy who had gone so far off the rails. Remember, he's not wearing a sign that says, lover of wicked nonsense. He's convinced himself, I think Diotrephes believes he's a good guy doing the right thing, fighting for truth. He's convinced himself and those who follow him that he's leading them in a good direction. And they might say, yeah, sure, there's some character flaws. Everybody, nobody's perfect, right? Yes, he can, be, he can be a little proud. Sure, he flies off the handle when people question his authority. He's just rough around the edges, but man, he's a leader. He's uncompromising. He tells it like it is. Even believers who love Jesus can follow a leader like Diotrephes right off a cliff if we're not careful. And this happens often. It's a famous recent podcast that chronicles just one example in church history. Because we can be attracted to qualities that appeal to the flesh and we can tell ourselves we're following this person or this movement or these 
ideals in service of the kingdom. And our imitating can become like a parrot, just following blindly, just repeating what we hear on spiritual autopilot. And John's saying, beloved, we're called to something more than that. In spiritual and Christian community, we rely on the Holy Spirit. We immerse ourselves in the Word of God. We sharpen one another to be sure that we're on the right track. We're not parrots. Just tell me what to believe. Tell me who to vote for. Tell me who's in. Tell me who's out so I can check the box. Diotrephes must have had a lot of good qualities. He surely did. But John points out some glaring fruits of the Spirit that are missing in his life. Truth and love, as John has been emphasizing all along, were not together in this man's life, in his actions, in his heart, in his words. He did not practice what he preached. Of course, no one's perfect. Gaius wasn't perfect. But God has given us godly examples to follow. Look at verse 12. Here's another one. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So John singles out another man in the church, Demetrius. Now, this could have been someone else in the same church where all this was going on. Uh, many people think this was the guy delivering the letter uh, to Gaius. So John's uh, vouching for Demetrius. But what's clear is, whoever he is, Demetrius has a good testimony. He's someone like Gaius who lives a consistent life. Truth and love come together. He lives what he preaches. The character of Jesus is evident in his life. The fruits of the Spirit are there. Somewhere along the way, Diotrephes had slid back into a worldly way of thinking, a worldly way of leading, of using his authority. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 20? You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, whoever wants to be first, like Diotrephes, right? must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Christian leadership that Diotrephes must have once known about and slid slowly, subtly back into the world's way of leading. Because authority, Jesus tells us, isn't wielded for power. It's laid down for the good of others. In Christ, we live this way of life that looks to the world pretty backwards, right? It looks upside down. It doesn't make sense. Because we have no need to grasp for power. Because we serve the one who already has all the power. We have no need to slander our brothers and sisters in Christ because we are so secure in who we are in Christ and our identity in Him. We don't need to tear others down. But as always, when we have a biblical command like this, we're tempted to think, okay, I just need to do better. We don't do this in our own strength. What happens in our own strength if we try to imitate good, not evil? We parrot Jesus' words. We parrot Jesus' actions. And that might be good for a minute, but it doesn't last, and it certainly doesn't come from the heart. We can only imitate good, as John's calling us to here, when we draw from the source. And that's Jesus. 
It's his presence in our lives, his provision. He is the good that we imitate. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please don't hear me saying this is some self-help message. Just do better, try harder, follow better examples, change who your friends are, whatever. All that might be good and helpful in your life, but that's not what John is saying. John's talking to a fellow believer to keep living out the life that is his in Christ. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the invitation for you is to come to him by faith, to receive life by grace alone. As believers, we imitate Jesus and we imitate the godly examples he's put in our lives, but not like parrots. We become those who imitate, but we can actually have a conversation with each other, right? We're actually growing in maturity. We See, the Spirit in us keeps growing us more and more to be like Jesus. And the more we walk into this, the more we walk out truth and love, the more the Spirit grows us to where this just comes out naturally. Doing the good, being like Jesus is just more and more a part of who we are and who we're created to be. John Stott said it so well. He said, ultimately, the child of God imitates the Savior, the Lord Jesus. He is our supreme example. Yet it is the case we all need earthly flesh and blood examples to imitate or mimic as well. We should ever be mindful on whom we set our eyes. We must also be mindful of those who have set their eyes on us. So who are you looking to as your guides, as your examples those to mimic? Do you have spiritual trusted friends in your life who have passport to speak into your life or to challenge you, to tell you a hard truth sometimes when you need to hear it? And are you mindful, as John Stott reminds us, are you mindful of those looking to you because people are looking to you? So let's look at the close of the letter, verse 13. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. And from these closing words, I would just say that all of this that John's been teaching us gets worked out best in face-to-face Christian community. There's no substitute for that. You know, parrots aren't the only animals that are good at imitation. There's lots of other animals, lots of insects that use mimicry to either blend in with their surroundings, to avoid being eaten by a predator, or to trick their prey to eat them. See, these animals in the animal kingdom imitate for survival, to defend themselves or to attack. But as believers, Jesus calls us to imitate that which is good, to learn to walk in his footsteps, not for our own survival, not for our own good, though it is for our good, not for our gain, but for others' good. We do this with big, bold acts of faith, and we do this by cooking a meal, writing a note of encouragement, praying for a brother or sister in Christ. Co-workers in the truth, John says. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus, who not only invites us to follow his example, but gives us the ability to do so by your indwelling spirit. 
And he gives us examples of faith that you've put in our lives. And so we thank you for so many in this room who many of us look to as spiritual fathers and mothers, trusted friends on the journey. And so make us, as John calls us to, make us ever mindful of the need to be imitating that which is good, to watch our hearts, to be conformed more and more into the image of your son Jesus. And it's for his glory and in his name we pray. Amen. Let us stand together.